Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. So if you follow the show or you've seen me speak or you've read any of my material on storytelling, you know that I often talk about how comedians use the same tactics and techniques that we use in storytelling. That's because comedians are some of the best storytellers on earth. You may have heard me talk about Jerry Seinfeld and his philosophies. You may have heard me talk often about Alan Alda and how he uses the practice of improv to help scientists understand how to communicate through stories. Well, today's guest is Kathy Klotz Guest, and she is an improv comedian. And on top of that, she knows Alan Alda's work very well and has read the book that I often talk about and even heard him spoke. And she lives by the same philosophy. She helps people understand how to communicate their stories in their business and their marketing strategies using the art and science and skill of improv. Improv has a concept called yes and, and that basically means that whatever your partner, and in this case, in business, our partners are our clients. So whatever your partner presents to you as the scenario, you have to build upon that. You, you can't reject it. You have to accept it and say yes to that, and you add something new to it. So instead of feeling like we're competing with our clients to tell them that this is what you need to do and you're doing it wrong, we listen from a point and a place of empathy to understand their needs and their values and what they're bringing to the table, and we yes and that. Okay, we build upon that. We, we bring our skills and our experiences to the table and meet them in the middle at the place where they are. And 
oftentimes I think entrepreneurs and business people may think that, you know, comedy has no place, right? Being silly and and being silly and being fun in business maybe isn't a fit. But Kathy does such a great job of explaining the practices and the, the, the skills that she works her clients through, the exercises that she puts them through to understand, one, the art of improv and how you use it, and two, how to apply it to your marketing strategies. I had such a great time talking with Kathy. We know a lot of the same people. We're, we're you know, both parents in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic and navigating that is, is troublesome. And we talk a little bit about how storytelling can, can help us through that as well. She's super funny and energetic and passionate. And to me, I mean, that's the stuff that just lights me up is that when someone is truly living, you know, living the life they want to live sounds cliche, but living within their purpose and their mission. Like this is, you could tell that this is what she is here to do. And what I love about storytelling and and really just life in general is that we can all help people in similar ways, but we, we are all unique and nobody can do it like we do. Okay, I love to help story people understand storytelling. So does Kathy, but we're completely different in our approaches. Yet we have a common bond and appreciation for similar things. Like I love comedians and I love to study comedians. So to, to be honest, it was such a privilege for me to have one on the show to really dissect. Okay, look, I'm kind of a nerd about it, and I've always known that that comedy is such a great way to approach storytelling. Now I get a one-on-one session with a comedian who uses comedy and storytelling to really just like get as much information as I could from her and she did not disappoint she delivered a home run so here is Kathy Klotz guest I hope you enjoy it I know you will this is why I'm so stoked to talk to you and other storytellers even though we're in this space or current time is because it's all about connection and like and what we do is all about connection. And right now it's so vital to be connected to other humans. And so with your mission and, 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 um, and platform and what you, you know, your thesis, like this is, this is it, this is what it's for keeping it human. Like that's, that's what it's about right now. Yeah, no, I think you're so right. It's the things that matter are now surfacing the things that are really important. And then the things that divided us and stupid things just don't matter. I mean, right. Hopefully. And you know, I've, I've, it is a level setting. It's a level setting of like, I don't care. It doesn't, you know, this virus doesn't care what car you drive. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care. Um, I think it's back to the things that really matter, which is, I think in some ways, I mean, it's sad that I don't know, at least if we come out of this thing, I hope we don't lose this moment of like things that matter. Yeah, for real. Um, I have a feeling that we want, uh, that we won't, uh, this is so historic and just such a, a big deal. I don't, I don't know. I hope that we don't come out of this and just after a month or two, just like, Oh yeah. Remember that when that happened? Um, <laughs> I hope not. I hope, I hope this is transformative. I, I do. I think it is. I really have to believe it is because, uh, things have changed forever, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I was talking with my wife. We have a young, almost to be, should be two this week, actually. Um, and and that <laughs> presents a lot of challenges during this time. But it's Aww. like going back to what really matters. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but man, this is 
this is what it's about. Like this is family. And, and if, if what we're being forced to do is to connect deeper and spend more time with our loved ones, yeah, there are little things that can make it annoying. But when we look back at this time in the future, look, you know, I think it's going to be special in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. It's just so confusing. I think everybody's so confused uh, about what, you know, when or if we're going to come out of this, but. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're all feeling it. We're all feeling it. And, uh, you know, certainly I think it's a chance to really rethink things. I was talking to somebody the other day and um, she talks a lot about, you know, bias in the workplace and all this stuff. And I, I hope that we come back with an understanding that, look, there's a common humanity and all those walls that we've, we've built racial, gender, you know, socioeconomic, all these things that are just really product of a lack of understanding become you know the things that don't divide us back when we go back to in person because when we were when we're in this moment right here it doesn't matter what somebody's background is it really does not matter and i i'm hoping that we hold these these moments really precious and go back to that with a renewed sense of like knocking down the walls Yep. Like, like, let's knock down the racial inequality. Let's knock down the gender inequality. Let's knock down the socioeconomic inequality. Let's, let's, let's come back with a renewed rigor for what really, really is, is that moment. And, and that's what I'm hopeful of. I'm hopeful, but people have short-term memories. I'm hoping this one lasts a little longer because it's painful. Sometimes we need the pain to remember. Yeah, for sure. You do. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. You know, I was the last keynote that I gave before the world flipped upside down um, was about bridging the gaps and making these connections using storytelling. And, uh, I said, I said something very similar to what you were saying about, we love to, to put these lines up and divide people into their compartments. And we were doing that even more so, Mm -hmm. uh, leading up into this, you know, the past few years, like it's been getting worse, I would say. And stories is a way to, to find out, as you keep saying, like what, what, what is really about what really matters, right? The things that I identify with the story, you know, yes, we have like, the the goal that we're following but it's really about like what are they really looking is it about fear is it about love what are these really almost primal things yeah. that, that that it's really uh tapping into because that's what draws me in as the viewer and so yeah. it was for a group of sailors and i don't have a say i mean i sailed when i was a kid but i came from a a um a motorboat family and so oh, nice. the connection that i was making was like look being on a boat, whether it's a sailboat or, or a motorboat, even though they're kind of like rivals, it's essentially all the same thing that really matters. Wow. It's being out on the open water. It's, it's, it's spending time with family. Like when I started peeling back the layers, that's what it was all about for them. It didn't matter the vessel. It was still about the same concepts. And so that's how I was able to like, you know, show them how storytelling can do that. And so I think this is the perfect time to, to, yeah. to bridge those gaps and, and erase those lines and storytelling yeah. is a way that people like you and I can can seek to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So, so uh, let's hop into it. I mean, we yeah. kind of just already did, but we're talking about basically what we're going to be talking about today. I want to know, like, I have an idea, but I want to know to you, what is, what is this, this, this mantra of keeping it human mean? Where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. So keep it a human, when I started my business 10 years ago, so I, I've been in business 10 years, um, I have You're this- You're from tech, I tech left, background, right? I, I do have a tech background. I ran marketing 
in tech. So I left, I worked my way uh, through product. I was in product marketing. Mm. Then I was um, sort of in innovation. I was in, in the Bay Area this whole time? Yeah, this whole yeah. time, this whole time in the Bay Area. And, you know, spent 15 years in tech. And when I left, I was running, you know, big marketing teams and communications mm. and making sure all the stories were consistent between marketing communications, corporate communications, investor relations, all that stuff. And so I spent, you know, 15 years doing all that. And I realized just how, how much and how far we had to go to really humanize the messages. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't alone. So for me, keeping a human was really started with this idea of like, oh my God, let's just stop talking about the thing <laughs> and the transaction and start talking about people's real fears. And even yeah. if you're sitting across from an executive, they won't buy from you unless they trust you and mm -hmm. they're scared and they feel risk and all the human stuff matters. None of yep. this other stuff matters, right? None of it matters. Totally. And so I started with that concept and over the years, over 10 years, it kind of evolved to not just marketing, but if you go further upstream, you know, so much of the way that we think about business is still transactional. Totally. Still transactional. And, and so keeping a human was really about bringing the humanity and the transformational, the, the, the people stuff into everyday business, the messaging, all the ways that we act versus just the day-to-day -day ROI speak, um, yeah. you know, and that was really the goal. There was someone, I unfortunately I can't uh, attribute the quote to them, but there's a quote that I love that's like talking about people being data-driven data points. Wow. And they're like, just remember at, at the at the end of that statistic, like that statistic represents a person, <laughs> you know, it's not just a number, it represents a human, right? So when we think about like 68% of people, blah, 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 you know, they're not thinking about, listen, that's 68 out of 100 people. What do they look like? What do they like? What do they need? What do they want? Right? Yeah, it's so true. I think it's so easy for us to get caught up in data and data doesn't travel well. What travels well is data wrapped up in story. And nobody goes, hey, nobody goes, hey, you know what? Check out this viral set of facts. Now that's an interesting <laughs> set of viral facts. What? <laughs> nobody shares stuff like that on like social media because everyone's like, ah, it doesn't work. No. What goes viral are emotional stories, gripping something that, that pisses you off, that makes you angry, that makes you sad, that makes you happy, that makes you laugh. All yeah. those things are what makes her virality. And at the, when we really separate all that stuff, it's always an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And the same, like we were, like we were saying earlier about this, it's generally the same emotional, psychological drivers from, from humans, right? It's, this, it's the same fears, the same desires that they have. And if you break it down, there's only a, you know, a few of those. There's not, there's not a lot, but I mean, that's, that's what I think that we need to seek to tap into. And oh, not, so, so true. So true. We so forget that. Are yeah. you, do you, uh, you're still doing comedy, right? Yeah, of course. Now, now did you do stand up or just improv? Both. So I started out um, right after college, I jumped into stand-up and I uh, did stand-up for about five years. And then I, before I, before I jumped into improv. Gotcha. Can I jump in and, right there? Um, yeah. This, this is something I'm selfishly very curious yeah. uh, about. So, um, you know, definitely want to hear how you got into the storytelling mm -hmm. space, but I love this combination of, of comedy in there. So my question mm -hmm. is, you said you jumped right into it, but there's, yeah. there's a story there yeah. <laughs> because this is one of the things that like people, I, I 
am also I've been on stage a lot. I grew up doing musicals and, and, and theater, but this has been something I'm one of those that's always thought about like, ah, kind of really like to get up there. My, my wife knows that this is a, a dream of mine. And I've never really done it. I've, I've told stories on stage and there's comedy woven in that. Yeah. And I do keynotes and the same thing, but it's not the same. So my question is, what was the thing? What was the impetus? What, what got you to say, you know what? I'm going to be bold enough to step on stage tonight. Like, like where did that happen for you? I always wanted to do it. I took a, yeah. I took a um, kind of an, a, an improv class in college and the improv is a little different from standup, but I, I sort of went, you know what? I love this thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually would argue, I would make the case that comedy is the best storytelling training out there. It mm. is storytelling. It, 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 it is because just like in a story where what makes a great story is having a really clear point of view. You've got to have a clear message and a clear point of view. Yeah. Comedy is exactly that. Take any comic out there and you can look at it immediately and say, here's who they are. They're, they're a frazzled mom. Mm. They're a, they're a single guy who can't date. They're a, you know, you know, their lens in the world. And so what makes for great comedy is having a really great lens and storytelling. It's the mm. truth. If you see me talk about the stuff I talk about as a married, you know, person, a mom, a business owner, yes. um, you walk away going, I know who she is. Right. I know her voice in the world. I know what she values. I know what pisses her off. I know <laughs> yeah, she's, yeah, a, yeah. she's like, she's at home trying to homeschool. And already she's like, man, that teacher needs to drink more. She's like, you know, <laughs> you know everything about me. Um, you know, the big things. So I think comedy was just very much a part of, um, sort of my storytelling kind of soul. Yeah. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it seems like comedy and storytelling is like comedy in the sense that you need clarity, right? You need this clear joke, you know, it doesn't need to ramble too much. And if you're telling a story to somebody, whether you're pitching or, or whatever, that's, that's some, somewhere I've seen. Uh, people go wrong because when I first started my storytelling journey, which was about three years ago, two or three years ago, I started doing these story slams, like live storytelling competitions. And where people would go wrong is we'd have a theme, a predetermined theme. Mm. They wouldn't tell a story. They'd kind of just talk about rivals or whatever the theme was that night. And they just kind of, you know, ramble along. And it was just like, well, where where are we going? Like, what's the story? And so just like, you know, it seems like when you're telling a joke, if I were to take people on this weird tangent and it wasn't like clear about where we were going with it, you'd lose them basically. Is that, is that right? Does that sound right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's a lot of thing. I think a joke is a mini story. It's a mini For story sure. and it's structure. You're, you're right. I mean, if I'm telling a story and I love the moth and all these different types of mm-hmm. story kind of slam environments, you need a purpose. There's like, there's a clear character. There's a clear call to action. There's a, there's the conflict. There's all these different things. And there's a point at the end of it. There's a point at the end of it. You know, a joke is the same way. If you're doing a joke structure, there's a setup and there's a punchline. And if I get mm. the setup wrong, the punchline is off. Yeah. So there, there is a, there is a structure to it. Um, and the only, the only difference is really, I, I think a joke is a very compressed kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's a much more compressed thing. Um, you know, for example, um, so I've been married now, uh, 21 years, I've been married 21 years. And, um, people always ask me like, you know, it's like that it, marriage is hard in that amount of time, Kathy, did you ever, when things were tough, did you ever consider divorce? And I'm like, no murder. Hell yeah. <laughs> 
like you know something about me. You know my personality. You know I've been married a long time. You know I understand conflict. And, and so it follows a certain kind of precise setup and punchline to achieve an effect. And story structure is very similar. It's a little bit protracted, but it still needs a, a, um, a methodology. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both about the truth. The funny thing is that there's storytelling, the best storytelling I know, even in business, is about the absolute truth. The best storytelling from a comedy stage, jokes are, you know, the truth about your life. They're the, the, the jokes that have the biggest impact are jokes that are just you being revelatory and vulnerable. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So what's the difference in, uh, for those listening, what's the difference in stand up and improv? Yeah. Stand up is really you with a microphone telling stories, little mini kind of, uh, truths about your life Mm -hmm. and improv is you are on stage with an ensemble and you are building scenes together in real time. You're getting an audience suggestion. And then with your, your cast members, you are letting go and recognizing that you are yes. And you're saying yes to whatever offer comes your way. And together little by little, you're building a story, Mm. but you're doing it in real time without a net completely collaboratively. And it's a powerful, powerful way to think about how storytelling works with a team. What does it require from you differently as the comedian? It requires an amazing amount of listening. Mm. You've got to listen. And stand-up, we we have what we call crowd work. Crowd work. So I might Mm -hmm. stop my joke, whatever set list I have, and I'm going to interact with the audience. That's called Mm -hmm. crowd work. I'm doing my crowd work. But the only way that that works is I'm listening to and responding to yes, Annie, whatever's happening in real time with the audience. Yeah. And improv is all about listening. If I come on stage and I've endowed myself as what we call self-endow as a mom. So I come on stage, two, two players come on to start a scene and I endow myself as a mom and you, you come on and call me a werewolf. Mm-hmm. The answer is I'm the best damn werewolf mom on the planet. <laughs> I'm both. I have to say yes and. Uh-huh. And so the way what it requires is an extreme amount of saying, I'm going to build this with you. Whatever you give me, I'm going to add it to what I've already built and I'm going to be integrative. And that takes an amazing amount of letting go, listening, right. and building on what other people offer. Which is a problem for for all of us, I would say, but especially if we're telling our brand stories, right? How, how often do you see people that you, that you may work with that get this like tunnel vision of like, this is what we're talking about. This is the story that we're telling and they don't open up. And, and... <laughs> It's so true. It's, it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about this whole COVID thing that we're in and nobody would choose this. Right. Nobody would choose it. However, we're at this moment in storytelling where we need to yes and to say yes to whatever cards got dealt. Mm, Which means when you, when you talk about listening, when you choose, I'm seeing brands right now, we're seeing the good and the bad and the ugly. I know Mm. you are too. When you see a brand out there still pursuing business as usual, as if nothing's changed, that is the ultimate yes but. It's a, I don't care audience that your needs have changed. You made me an offer and you're saying, no, 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 I'm not interested. But I'm going to say, too bad, this is what I have scheduled for my, you know, for all my social media, and this is what I'm going to do. That's the ultimate yes, (laughs) And so we're in a moment of yes and storytelling. We're going to have to drop what we 
scheduled and listen in a way that I think we've never really listened before. Oof. This is so good. Like when we were just starting off at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about how hopefully this will shape the way we interact and communicate with people kind of on a personal level. Right. Yeah. But this is such a good example of how it should shape us and, and our communication with our audiences and our clients and customers and communities, because that yes, but way of delivering information and content was not good to begin with. Now it, it's like, it exposes it, right? It's like completely tone deaf. And it's like, you're like, come on, what are, what are you thinking? Whereas before the COVID crisis, you may not have rolled your eyes as strongly, but, but I think that it should shape this because it was never right to begin with. The whole point of communicating with people is to, for it to be this yes and of improv, which I love, but you are yeah. so right. And I've been talking about this and, and all of our contemporaries and peers. And, you know, I know Melanie is a good yeah. a friend of yours. Like we're all kind of saying the same thing, which makes me feel so good because you know what? we're all asking ourselves the same question. Like, well, what do I do? Like, I've still got a business to run. Like, do I still put my stuff out there? It's like, yes. And you be conscious of what everybody else is going through and, and speak to them in, in a way that matters for them. Not just, this is what I'm doing. And you're exactly that. Exactly. That's exactly it. You still need, you still need to run a, a business and that's okay. Totally. It's, Yes, and is just recognizing that the audience needs have changed. And rather than fighting it and just, you know, shoving your stuff down their throats, it's like, all right, I get it. You're, you're going through some stuff. How do we take what you need and understand our long-term goal, not the short-term stuff just to make money, um, but the longer-term brand story and how do we make some changes? I mean, if, if I'm Patagonia, for example, I understand I still have a commitment to the environment. Sure. But I know that there are some people yeah. out there that can't really think about writing a check to environmental causes when they have lost a job because of COVID and now they're in the throes of COVID. Well, how can I then take that and yes and and say, all right, we still have a commitment to the environment. Is there something we can do about local community things that you can do right now to support environmentalism at home? Can we yeah. do some local things? So we bring it from this world thing to your needs here at home that affects you personally. Hmm. That's the kind of yes and that great storytellers need to really understand. Totally. This is like the definition of empathy, right? Of, of understanding what your people need to, how they need to be served in, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love and there's that. a lot of brands that just, we, we all know don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but to your point, they didn't really get it before. So I wouldn't expect that they necessarily have it now. However, here's the thing, all is not lost. We're in this sort of the dark night of the soul in storytelling where I think if you had empathy before, you're going to probably be further ahead of the curve. But yeah. at the very least, now's the time to start really honing it. It's not lost, but now is you've got to understand now, you know, how you can throw out the old messages and really figure out where people are at and embrace some new stuff. And, and then it doesn't just have to happen when there's a crisis. Then you can really like, let's say the world flips back right side up, you know, next week. Yeah. And then we're, we're in May and it's like, you can think the first of May, what are people going through then? And how can I speak to them in a way that they can really listen and what will really help them, right? It doesn't just have to be in this, these big moments, right? Where there's a crisis. So, hey, better talk about COVID stuff. It's like, no. <laughs> Let's stop and th and genuinely think and listen, as you said, about like, you know, how can we yes and what, what they're saying or what they need? 
Yeah. Now's a great time. Like you have an opportunity. I think every brand to be the brand that's different. If Mm. I, if I read one more, I tell you what, if I get one more email from a brand that's like, Hey, how to work from home, top (laughs) tips for how to like, I will lose my, you know what? Cause it's like, everybody's doing that. So if there's a saturation, you're not differentiated, you're not adding value. Um, A better way to go would be, here's some changes we're making because of COVID to keep you safe, to keep the community that we operate in safe. And here's how we're making uh, that difference in the food banks, the community, our employees. Mm -hmm. That would be a better way to honor this moment than to um, just thinking you've got to jump on the train that everybody else is on. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Definitely. I I saw, actually, when I spoke to to Melanie on the show, she said a a similar thing about like, look, I'm not making some crazy pivot right now. Right. You know, like I'm not, because everybody was doing that. Everybody was jumping to, to like, oh, here's what I'm doing at. Now I'm doing webinars. Right. Right. I'm the work from home expert now. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a work from home expert and and chances are, you know, most people out there aren't either. And that's okay. Honor your long-term thing. The beauty about, I like that. Yeah. Honor. And I think the one, the one thing I can't impress enough about the yes, a yes and mentality is you are honoring who you are. You, and you are honoring somebody else at the same time. So if your long-term thing is to still be a storyteller and that's who you are, great. Keep what you've always done. Just recognize that the types of stories that you tell need to change. Mm-hmm. And it's also okay to go to your audience and say, we don't have all the answers. We're, we're still writing this moment just like you are. And to be vulnerable, that is a more powerful thing to do than to pretend that you have all the answers right Big now, time. which Plus one to that for sure. Ask a question. Nobody's going to get mad at you for asking a question, but so often we try to act like we all, we have the answers. It's a, it's okay. And as a parent, like the parent I want to strive to be is not my parents' generation, which would just make up a, a, a an answer to any question. <laughs> I had. But if I don't know the answer for my daughter, I, I want to be confident and courageous enough to say what, you know what? I don't know. Let's find out together. <laughs> you know, I love that, which is a total new way of doing it. And like, you know, my parents' generation, which was because I said so. Big time. Uh, if you don't stop crying, I'm gonna give, I'm you, give something you something to cry. Because <laughs> my dad was a marine. Oh my, my dad gosh. was like, "Stop your crying." Mm-hmm. Like I was so my my dad's parenting skills were just more tough love. Oh yeah, um, but mine too. <laughs> I, I got a quick story. Broke my arm in the middle of a football game when I was like ten. Mom tells me I'm sitting on the sideline with it's swelling up over the tape. She tells me to suck it up and get back in the game. And then we go to the hospital that night. It's broken. That's, that's oh, the type of parents we were raised with. I so relate to that. I, so I broke, I broke my hand in uh, uh, playing a sport and I was in absolutely was throbbing. And I remember my dad said, walk it off. Oh my God. <laughs> Same thing. It still hurts. So like, you know, later we went to, you know, and saw that it was fractured and the doctor's like, why did you wait to come in? And I was like, cause my dad said to walk it off. And I remember the doctor's face. I'll never forget the doctor just looking at my dad and looking at me like, this is hilarious. We literally have the same story. The doctor came in and I was on the table doing my like social studies homework. And he was like, damn boy, she doesn't cut you a bit of slack. Does she? <laughs> and he's like, well, Miss Bennett, it's broken. And she was like, Oh, 
god. That is too funny. It is too funny. That's amazing. So so when did you realize that you could take this this, you know, all these lessons you've learned from improv and and connect them to storytelling and, and use them to help people tell their stories better? When did that happen for you? And how? Like what was the epiphany when you're like oh. Yeah. Well, you know, over time, and I've been doing sort of comedy for over 20 years, so I'm, I'm sort of a lifer. I mean, that's yeah, this is part of you. That's really, you know, and I think probably in the first, like maybe I think three to four years, I remember, um, cause I would do comedy five, six nights a week. I would perform stand up. I would do improv and then I'd go to my day job and I was like, well, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I remember having this, mo- this moment of like, okay, when I go and I do comedy on a stage, People are at the edge of their seat and improv. They're they're because we're having a human experience. We're telling stories and all the emotions of storytelling. And we're we're having a real transformational story moment. Mm-hmm. And yet, when we do storytelling in business, it's transactional. It's all about the ROI and nobody cares. Like, I'm like, you know, there's no, there's nothing exciting about that, you know. Um, and I remember thinking, why is it? We're so dry and boring and bland. And over here, we're so transformational and people are riveted. They are literally, their jaws are dropping like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I realized that, you know, all the things I was learning on the improv stage, all the the tools mattered and they belong in in business. It's just that people aren't doing it. Mm -hmm. So over time, I started bringing these threads, these story threads um, of stakes and emotions and today's the day and all these inciting incident Mm -hmm. kind of techniques, things that we do on a stage when we're creating a show, we could be doing this in business every day. There's no reason. There's no reason. And so little by little, I started bringing that in and, and, um, Kept, kept notes. A lot of things worked. I wouldn't tell people it was improv. The minute I told people it was improv, they'd be like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> and then over years, I just tracked what worked, what didn't. And eventually, you, you know, realized that that was um, when I started my business. That's really what I needed to do is bring these two worlds together. So when, when you say that you, you wouldn't tell people it was improv, was that like in a coaching scenario or like what? what, what um, um, my, my, and my question is, are, were there particular improv exercises that you would run people through that if you were consulting or doing a workshop? There is now. When I was okay. back running tech marketing, um, if I if I said too much about like improv, a lot of the, the people would be like, uh, you know, right. of course. <laughs> that, that's not, that doesn't belong here. Oh, get same serious. <laughs> oh yeah, same people. And I would do these exercises and say, well, indulge me for a minute. I have an idea for an activity that I think might have some breakthrough ideas. And I'd run the activity, I'd facilitate the activity and they'd be like, this is interesting. And then maybe later I'd tell them it was improv. So what I found was the bias, if I said, if I prefaced it with, hey, this is improv, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They, they make up their own story of what, what it was going to be or what improv was. Exactly. And so I faced that wall and I thought, why do I need that wall? Take the wall down, just slowly, but surely introduce these kind of concepts. And then once people see they, they work, then I can tell them it's improv. It's very different for me when I'm consulting today because people know, okay, it's improv and there's much more openness to it. But when I was first starting, especially in a lot of B2B tech companies, mm-hmm. they get suspicious of anything that they consider, you know, fluff or whatever. Um, yeah, they're I too think, cool for school. 
yeah, too cool for school, but things have changed. It, we've yeah. evolved. People now realize that all those storytelling skills that make great improv belong in business. So we've evolved a lot in 10 years, I think. What's an example of an exercise that you would walk someone through now, an improv exercise to help them tell their brand stories? Yeah. So there's a couple different things. Um, uh, one that comes to mind is we use this idea of what's next, mm. what's next. And we walk people through when people make an, a statement, here's our brand story. Um, it's all right. Who's the, who's the protagonist? Be very detailed. Now what's next? What happens? Cause and effect. Now what's next? And it forces them to think about if then that, because this person did that, this thing comes next. Yes. So it forces people to think through plot. And because this happens, this happens. Um, there's another exercise um, really well known called the story spine. And sure. the story spine was invented by a friend of mine who is an improviser and runs a theater out here in California. And it's a seven steps story spine that people can apply and Pixar uses it for their storytelling. Yeah. And, yeah. What's, what's and, your friend's name by the way, because Ken, Pixar, Adams. Ken, Ken Adams. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar. Yeah. Pixar gets most of the shine for that story spine. So I really want to make sure that Ken, Ken gets his, his propers here. Yes. Ken, Ken teaches at Synergy theater in, in California and it, came from uh, um, the, th the theatrical world and it was introduced to Pixar Very by cool, way yeah. of improv theater. And it's this technique that um, Pixar has, I think, um, made a little bit more famous. And it's really about, you know, once upon a time there was this thing and every day this person did this or this thing did this. Mm -hmm. And then one day, oop, status quo disrupt disrupted there's a, there's an intervention the inciting incident and then because of that and then because of that and then because of that until one day finally boom the status quo is is reversed there's a new status quo mm -hmm. and because of that now every day because of that this is done this way so we have a status quo we have a disruption of the status quo and then we have a new normal established and the story spine is one of the most powerful tools i think that has come out of improvisational theater that's awesome yeah i, I didn't realize that that, yeah. that was the origin of it i knew i had seen ken adams work and, and seen some articles yeah. uh, but i didn't realize it came from improv that's super cool it comes from theater it comes from the theatrical world yeah yeah uh, and theater has figured this out. Live theater has figured out a way to do all this powerful storytelling in real time, um, which is, I think, the same concepts we can bring into a lot of the work that we do. The, the first place that I realized, and, and one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you about this intersection of improv and storytelling is, um, are you familiar with Alan Alda, the, the yeah. actor? Yeah. Do you know, do you know his, uh, his his institute? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I read his book, uh, and he talks about how he uses improv, and because he's like a big science nerd, and he helps yep. scientists communicate their findings to normal people, and uses improv to do it. And it was so cool. And I I I, I yeah. use one of his bits from that that book in my uh, workshops. And whoever steps up to be the the hero, um, it's like, do you remember? Did you read that book? I did read the book. I, yeah, I, I, yes. And, um, I've, I've heard Ellen speak on this topic. Yeah. 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 There, there there's a bit where he, uh, demonstrate stakes with walking across the stage with water. And so I'll do that and give him his credit, but I always give whoever volunteered from the audience a copy of, of that book uh, because I just thought it was such a great, a great way to put it. So um, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Cause I didn't know that about him either. 
Yeah, no, he's he's fantastic. Um, he does a lot of science communications to help get these scientific inventions into lay people's hands. Yeah, but they have to speak the language of all of us. Totally. And the We're, concept of yeah, everyday stakes, raising the stakes, yeah. which is such an important concept in improv, and why I think storytelling is better because of these types of concepts. Yeah, definitely. Where did you see him speak? Uh, so he, so I'm a member of uh, the Applied Improv Network, which is okay. a longtime organization for people like me who are using Applied Improv in their work. And Got he it. came and he spoke at one of our conferences uh, two years ago. That's awesome. <laughs> what a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to see him at Microsoft. I got to see him at Microsoft actually explain a lot of the work that he did uh, does to a lot of engineers and very technical people. Yeah. Uh, this is a complete weird tangent, but I've been spending part of my time during the COVID crisis just watching old Saturday Night, Night Live videos like on, you know, for hours on end. And Bill Hader's impression of Alan Auda, if you haven't ever seen it, is just like spot, great- spot on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look at that. I'm, I will send you the link. But do you remember back in the day they did the um, like lost Star Wars auditions and they just had people, you know, uh, uh, impersonating celebrities, right? So they do that all the time because it was successful. Yeah. And so, in the whenever Bill Hader was there, maybe about ten years ago, they did a ton with him playing out and all the you know auditioning for Jurassic Park or whatever. But I will send you; it's it's amazing. That's awesome. I was, I was literally just watching that like two days ago as I was killing one of the twenty four hours that we have to kill every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. All right. Let's get back on track. I'm sorry for, for veering us off. But, uh, no, I love Alan Alda. So there you go. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. And I read that whole book in his voice, by the way. Um, so you had mentioned something a little while ago about defining the protagonist. Yeah. Um, and I want to go back to that because I had seen something that you wrote or either a speech of yours where you talked about how companies make bad protagonists. Can you explain to my listeners simply why that is? Because a lot of them think that they're like, that's the story they're telling is their company is the hero and the protagonist. Let the people know why that's not a good idea. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Um, (laughs) And yes, I've written about it. I've spoken on this topic. Uh, There are several reasons. I mean, the, the main reason is, is nobody can identify with the company. Um, You can't. You can't get your arms around a company. You can't hug a company. We all want to slap companies because companies (laughs) are awful sometimes. But think about it this way. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the company did this, the company did that. That's a book report. That's not a story. A story Mm. has to have a very identifiable, vulnerable human that we can relate to, that we all go, I feel that way. I feel like I'm scared. And that we, we, when we can get our arms around the details of, of that protagonist and their call to do something different, we feel an immediate identification with it. You do not want to hide behind a company. There, that you, it's just a very, very hard thing to do. Um, and it's the difference between just a, a, a fact and a story. You will never, ever, ever change somebody's mind by saying the company did this, the company did that. So give yourself, give yourself a protagonist and details are your friend. Maybe it's the company CEO and the company's CEO is Nancy and Nancy has had to, you know, go into debt uh, because of the situation we're in, but she's going to borrow because she's going to meet payroll and she is not going to lay off her 20, 30, you know, family uh, based employees, their family to her. She's sweating bullets. She's not sure how she's going to make payroll. The stakes are really high. 
every small business can identify with I'm that. already in there. Like I want to help her right now. You want to help her. But if you just say, well, the company borrowed money. Okay, well, well who's the company? Why do I even care? I don't care. Yeah. You're doing yourself a real disservice. And, and it's not a, just a, that it's boring. It's that you are really doing yourself a disservice. You might have a really amazing story, but no one's going to listen unless they identify from the very beginning with that protagonist. I also saw something you wrote about pattern disruption. And this is something that I love so much and it can be a variety of things, anything. I mean, I'm a filmmaker. And so often I have to explain to people like, look, B-roll sometimes is just a visual pattern disruption so that you get people out of this, you know, state where they're locked in and then they start just tuning out because they're bored, right? Switch it up on them. Uh, Mystery can do it. Horror, you know, a scare can do it. And comedy can do it, right? Why is why is that so important to, to, to use comedy to, to make that disruption? What does that do? What's the effect of that? Yeah. You know, we, we all um, get into these patterns in our heads and we expect the expected and we're trained to, we're trained to, which means I'm probably tuning out of somebody talking because my brain adapts after a couple of minutes but about every five minutes, we, we kind of settle our brain function kind of like, you know, flatlines a little bit might be a strong word, but it kind of adapts. The minute you tell a joke or you do something unexpected, my brain all of a sudden snaps back into paying attention again because I did not see that coming. I was on my phone and, oh my God, that's hilarious. Oh my God, pizza for everybody. I did not see that coming. The minute you do something unexpected, the brain um, is re-stimulated. The attention curve starts over again. And about every five minutes, um, our brains fall into a pattern, a tone of voice, um, whatever, uh, a slide. Uh, whatever. Um, you said we settle into a monotone. Yep. Got it. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. But if I were to like stop what I was doing and all of a sudden like do a joke or step out in the audience and interact with the audience, crowd work, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a comic, all of a sudden the brain's like, what is this? This is different. I didn't see this coming. Give me more. Um, and that's, that's the battle that you're fighting is we're all fighting an attention battle today with so much going on with your audience. So you're going to have to figure a way to disrupt the, the average messages they're getting, which is exactly why you should not be doing one more article of, you know, how to work from home, how to prepare for your Zoom meetings, because they've seen it a million times. <laughs> do something different. Uh, do something funny. Maybe talk about a time that like you just did a zoom meeting that failed and what you learned from it, mm-hmm. um, something unexpected. And that particular example would be relatable too, because we've all, we've yeah. all done, done a zoom meeting that's probably failed or given us trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me like when I, you, you say you used to be an athlete as well, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. growing up. So I used for a very brief time, I boxed uh, just for a couple of years. Um, and my trainer at the time, talk to me about how, how problematic forming patterns were and how we could actually use them against an opponent. So if I threw a jab and every time that opponent ducked or slipped this way, do that about you know two or three or four times and get him in that pattern. And then on the fourth or fifth time, throw the same thing. He's going to react the same way. And then you don't, you know, you fake it and then come, come with something else. And so that always kind of stuck with me. And when you were explaining that, I was like, this is exactly the same thing. Like, you, you know, you catch him off guard, literally. Um, but, but we do slip into that. Even when you're in the middle of a fight, like you can slip into what's comfortable for us and just be like, all right, I know that he's going to throw that jab. I can just, I can just block it every time. 
Um, so that's, that's interesting. And, and you, you hear it, you know, I, I just started speaking a couple of years ago uh, and you can hear it when you're given a performance, you can tell when you got the people locked in and when they, all right, I've been kind of droning on and on for about three or four minutes. I am starting to lose some people. So. Yeah. It's about, yeah, that's anywhere between, you know, three to five minutes. If you, if you're going on and on and on, do something different. That's my advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have, I know we're, we're running short on time now and I, I, uh, I love everything that we've talked about today, but I have a, I have a, I have a serious question for you. Okay. Um, no, <clears throat> so we're talking about business storytelling. Yeah. Is there a limit to like, is there a line? How funny can you be? Obviously we can use comedy in this, but some people are, they're stoic in their business, you know, they're entrepreneurs or CEOs. Um, is there a line to how much we can incorporate comedy in our storytelling? Are we just using comedy to inspire our storytelling or like where, where's the line there? Because it is still about business. We are still trying to achieve a goal. Yeah. It's not just for, you know, uh, complete shits and giggles, right? We're trying to accomplish something here. <laughs> <laughs> so, just the giggles are fun, but yeah. You know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I do know what you mean. It's a great question. So a couple things. I, you know, we have to look at storytelling through the through a funnel. And I hate the word funnel because it starts with FU. Uh, and I don't like, it's not fun. It's not fun to talk about funnels. But, but here's the thing to look at it through is it is about business. So what, what comedy is really good at is saying, hey, we're different, disrupting the pattern, getting attention. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, you can hold attention with another comic device. But when you want to move people through the funnel of serious consideration, then comedy becomes, it, it can be tricky. It can be tricky when you move that, yeah, that them further kind of middle of the funnel because now they're looking at serious consideration. So I think comedy works really well when you are new, when you're trying to capture attention, when you're trying to do something different, um, when you're acknowledging that there's a problem nobody's talking about, all these things that are in your face, comedy's great at that. But just remember that comedy is the beginning of the conversation. It's not the conversation. Mm. Conversation gets people to the table. And then when you get them to the table, you have to remember that you can still have a human story, but comedy might not serve you in the middle of the funnel. It might, but chances are that once they're at the table, they really want to know what's it going to do for them. So just remember that comedy is so good at that beginning stage. And every once in a while, it's okay to go back and have something funny to keep people's attention. Mm -hmm. So it can serve you. If all your comedy, if all your storytelling, yes, is comedy, then meh. But I think people dismiss comedy too much. Mm -hmm. um, you really need it when your company needs to do something different. Comedy can be a great device for that. Mm. That was perfect. Uh, I love that. Well, it's kind of like, the, you know, all the great comedians, there's a buildup, right? We're telling this story. It's, it's an ebb and flow. It's not just joke, 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 because then there's no rhythm. There's nothing that we latch on to, right? I mean, you see all the greats are, are like that. They build it up and it's not all just jokes. It's truth as you, we keep coming back to this word. Comedy's the truth. I mean, like, you know, um, you know, uh, my boys uh, decided that, you know, uh, Sunday was no pants day. Now it's every day is no pants day. Uh, so it turns out uh, I'm running a lean startup uh, at home. What <laughs> is the truth? How, I mean, we're living in these times where, you know, every parent knows that because we're, we're forced on each other. And, you know, uh, that's the world we live in. And, and again, I think if you can keep in mind when you're doing comedy, what truth 
what big truth am I telling here? Mm-hmm. If you keep that in mind, you can get comedy to serve your business need really well. What do you think about this? I just had a, a little light bulb go off. It's also like comedy is truth, and but it's also kind of unique perspective, right? Yeah. Like we all can tell the same joke, but yeah. we're coming from our own point of view. And if we're that's it. What, whatever we do in business, it's still kind of our take on things, right? Yep. You're a storytelling person. I'm a storytelling person. Yep. But we do things differently, right? Absolutely. So well, that, and comedy is, comedy is no different. And that's why I really believe that comedy is just another version of, tr- of yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Because it all comes down to point of view. Your take on it is your secret sauce. Mm. Your take with your story is your secret sauce. There's a million ways I can do. I remember, because um, I've been doing this for so long now, I remember uh, in the stand-up world, everybody had a Viagra joke. Because mm-hmm. everyone's got a COVID joke today. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's, I mean, there's no shortage of everybody doing these jokes. I mean, I'm, I, you know, when, when we first had shelter in place, I was like, you know, you know dear Abby, I mean, should I wear, you know, bike shorts or, or pantless if I murder my husband on a Zoom call? How, what's, the, what's the etiquette for that? <laughs> you know, and we're all laughing. But the point is, is the way that you tell the joke yeah. um, through my merry kind of lens. It's, yes. um, so there's, just understand the, that there's a million ways to, to tell that story. And the only thing, the only thing that's going to make you stand out is your point of view on it. Same with jokes, same with jokes. Lovely. I love that. That's a perfect note to end on. Um, what do you, so looking forward into 2020 now that everything's upside down, um, (laughs) when things come back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later, what are you yeah. excited about this year? What are, you, what are you focused on this year? What are you trying to create or what's going on in your world? Yeah. You- well, it's really interesting because I was working on researching my next book, you know, mm. um, Stop Boring Me has been out for a few years and it's all about, you know, using improv and marketing and content creation. And I was working on my next book and it's interesting because I still, um, so for me, it's working on this next book. It's also, yes, adapting some of my delivery for online Mm-hmm. not lose sight of the really big long-term play, which is, I think there's a back to basics of, of being human in the way that we do this. And I, sometimes we forget the, the basics. We think they're too obvious. They're not right. important enough. So for me, 2020 is about if, if COVID's taught me anything, it's going back to the basics of what makes us human and stories make us human. Um, and you don't have to be fancy. It's going back to that common shared human experience. So I, I think my prayers are adjusting. I don't think we need to get super fancy. We just need to find a new way to um, connect with these really important stories. Kathy, thank you so much. You have been awesome to talk to today. I appreciate you taking the time. Back at you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for the conversation. Absolutely. Be well. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.